Welcome to another episode of Benchon Talk Shit, and I am so excited about today's guest, a friend of mine and a constant source of inspiration, whether you know it or not. I've been watching Carrie over the years. We met in New York City, I think around like 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And after working with some of the biggest names in beauty, Carrie is now the owner and creative director of Make Beauty, a Colorado native now living in Los Angeles. Carrie has been making her mark in the beauty industry for years before acquiring Make in 2020. And this is her story and we're so excited to have her today. So I did the short and sweet intro, but I'd love for you to just for our listeners, for those who don't know you, for those who do know you, who might not know your story or about you, just tell us a little bit about yourself. So I grew up in Colorado, um, even though I was born in California and I've technically lived here longer than Colorado at this point, but grew up in Colorado, went to a small middle school, high school, had issues with dyslexia and, you know, couldn't really read until I was in high school. Like I had a third grade reading level when I was a freshman in high school, Uh which I think really pushed me to be creative and to also be really into sports. And I really thought that I was going to be an athlete. I wanted to be an Olympic volleyball player. Wow. But I was too short to play in college. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. In high school, I was like in the middle and the front and the girls in college who play those spots are like six, four. So, okay. And you're pretty tall. How tall are you? I'm like six foot, not tall enough. (laughs) Welcome to the sports industry. You know, I was a figure skater. Yeah. Which is, you know, a whole nother conversation, but so many rules and standards. But anyways, continue. Yeah. And then... Let's see, April of my senior year of high school, I just was, I don't know, I'm going to go to fashion school. Like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what it was called. It's more, I think, common now. Like, most people know what an art director is, a creative director, but I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. And I just was kind of trying to find the thing. I was like, I want to make the image. I want to create the world or you know, decide on this thing or that thing. I don't want to be the photographer, you know, but at the time I didn't know what that was. And so I was like, you know, fashion or no project runway Mm -hmm. was on TV at the time. I think season two. Wow. And I was like, I'm going to go to fashion school and went to San Francisco, Mm -hmm. went to FITM. It wasn't the right fit for me. I just... I didn't want to be in fashion, but I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I love fashion imagery and I love this whole world that they build. I was going to try it and then it didn't work. I was like, no, not that. Moved to LA for a year. How did you go from, did you have an interest in fashion when you were in high school, even though you were playing sports or how did that even spark? Like not really, even though I think, you know, I would always look through magazines and I was really into like editorials and just really obsessed with like putting together an image. Mm -hmm. And I did do some photography in high school. And so like composition and things like that were always kind of like interesting to me, but I wasn't stylish. It's not like I was like spending all this money on clothes, had to have a bag, like didn't do any of that. I wore Crocs and Birkenstocks. uh, Which are now in style. So maybe you're just a trendsetter back in the day. So funny (laughs) to me because Crocs in Colorado, like they're, they were made in Boulder and, you know, they're like 
they used to be like the ugliest thing and nobody wore them. And same with kind of Birkenstocks too, but now they're a fashion thing. It's so, they're like everywhere now. They're everywhere. And I'm I'm like, mom, we should have saved my Adidas Sambas. We should have saved my Crocs, my Burks. They're like vintage at this point. But It's so funny. I love how we go, mom, you should have done this. I, sort of similar to you when I was in high school, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to go to NYU and study literature. And my parents we're just like, what are you going to do with that? They're very supportive, but they just were like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. I always loved fashion magazines and I would get all the magazines every every week, every month or whatever it was. And I would sit in my room, door locked and just flip through the, I don't know why I did this, but from back to front yeah. and I would rip the pages out and I had folders that I would put them in. Mm-hmm. And then I would put the magazines and the folders in my closet And I remember when I went away to college, I was like, mother, if you touch these magazines, it will be the end of you. (laughs) And of course, you like threw them all away. And I was like, no, those are classics. (laughs) So you went to fit them. And then what happened? You just weren't, how long did you stay there for? Maybe six months. It was pretty apparent in the beginning that it just wasn't right. Mm -hmm. I also, when I left Colorado, I feel like the first five to seven years of my 20s, like 18 to 24, 25, were not about school. They were not about going to college. It was like when I started to, I want to say this with air quotes because it's cheesy, but like find myself because I was Mm -hmm. outside of my element. I wasn't doing something that I was good at. Mm -hmm. I had so much anxiety that, you know, also then turned into an eating disorder. And Mm -hmm. I also had never had that before. I used to eat like two meals a day, two Mm -hmm. of every meal a day and Mm -hmm. didn't think about weight at all. And so much of my like early twenties was just about that. And I'm glad that I went to college. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, you know, anyway, my dad was like, I was the first to graduate from college in my family. So my dad was like, okay, so you don't want to do fashion. What do you want to do? And I'm like, I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to go to Otis, which is Mm -hmm. like a Parsons equivalent essentially. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to be I'm going to make art films. I'm going to be like an experimental artist. You know, I'm I'm just going to lean into that. Didn't like that either. <laughs> How did dad take that? I remember when I, my father's from Ukraine. So like, they're mm. like doctor, lawyer, dentist, yeah. like anything that has like a name to it. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to New York and I'm going to go to fashion school. He was like, mm-hmm. what is, he was so confused and so just, it's, it was a new language for him. Dads yeah. are just, you know dad vibe my parents were so supportive of what I wanted to do and I was so lucky for them to just kind of be like we don't care what you do just as long as you're happy doing it and it like they never pressured Mm me you know and I I also changed my mind a lot I'm I'm an Aries so (laughs) I'm quick to try something new and also quick to abandon it do you know what your human design is are you a manifesting generator? (sighs) yeah I just looked it up actually yeah it's like the classic we love to try new things and then we're like nope, I'm good. And you try something else. Nope, I'm good. I try something else. My mom was always really positive too, where she was like, you tried it and now you know, you know, like she always kind of like put that spin on Mm -hmm. it. And when I decided that I didn't want to be a fine artist either, my dad was like, I don't care what you do, but you're graduating from college. And I was like, okay, I'm going to move back up to San Francisco. All my friends were there. I was still visiting them. I was just like, why did I move down here. (laughs) The Academy of Art had a 
art direction for advertising program, then I was kind of like, that seems close. Mm -hmm. You know, when I went, I was like, I don't want to do strategy. I don't want to do marketing. I don't want to do any writing. I want to do film, graphic design, and the art direction part, but not the advertising. Mm -hmm. And I just got really lucky. I had these incredible teachers that just like really encouraged me. I was into fashion film at the time. I thought that's what I was going to do when I graduated. Moved to London and show studio and Nick Knight. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I will do anything to, to do that. And then when I graduated, my boyfriend at the time, he was like, you know, before you move, maybe should save some money. And there's a job opening at Sephora, which, you know, in San Francisco, that was like the coolest thing. There's not a lot of fashion up there. I mean, there's like the gap and some limited brands, Sephora. And especially at that time, it was so edgy and editorial. It was just so cool. And I was like, yeah, sure. What year was that? This was like 2012, I think. Okay. Yeah. So about 10 years ago. And it was just Mm -hmm. like, to me, you know, it was almost like the vogue of a beauty retailer and they were such an authority on editorial and the creative was so good. The creative director at the time was incredible. I was so lucky to be there. That's how I felt like once I got Mm -hmm. there and once I started working there, I just never looked back. I was like, oh, it's beauty actually. Mm -hmm. Because there's such a parallel, you know, beauty and fashion go hand in hand. And again, I've never Mm -hmm. really been like a fashion girly. So, and not that I was a beauty girly either, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just felt like better to me. It had better energy and it was just the most fun time to be starting in beauty also. That was maybe the time that Instagram started. Mm -hmm. It was when e-commerce was becoming really popular. I remember Sephora like dedicating so much of their efforts towards e-commerce, which was kind of unheard of at the time. Mm -hmm. It was when Into the Gloss was peaking. Violet Gray had just launched. Like it was this commerce and beauty, like Mecca on the internet Mm -hmm. was sort of like right place, right time, Mm -hmm. I think, to be someone working in digital because now everything is digital for the most part. I was so obsessed (laughs) and I still am. You know, I've known you for a few years now and, you know, we spent more time together when you were living in New York City, but I don't think we've ever really sat down and did the chronology of your story. So it's so inspiring for me to hear your story. If you are a manifesting generator in human design, I'm also like very new to human design, but I remember Mm -hmm. when I learned mine, which is a manifesting generator. That's why I was like, oh, I think you're one too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're really, our whole thing is about trying new things. And then maybe we're not really meant to see things through all the way, just to just take a little bit of magic from things and Mm -hmm. sort of collect it and find where our passions sit. So your story is so inspiring because it just shows the journey that it took to get from where you were then to where you are now. And I think sometimes people can really look at people like yourself and be like, oh, she knows exactly who she is and what she's doing and, you know, CEO and uh, or owner and found, you know, Mm -hmm. this or that. And people have this illusion that we knew exactly what we were doing to get there. And that's why I love the transparency of your story because it's like, no, I tried 500,000 things until I was like, holy shit, it's beauty, actually. So that right there is an inspiration. And one of the questions that I have for you is, when you were at Sephora, that was 10 years ago and seeing where you are now, like, did you ever imagine your wildest dreams that you will be where you are today? No, 
Never. Even, I don't know, like three or four years ago, you know, I was, I had all these brands I wanted to work for and it was like that or nothing. It was Glossier. Um, it was Violet Gray. And I ended up going back to Sephora for a second time in a more senior role because I wanted to do like more at that level at a place like Sephora. Mm -hmm. And it was right before COVID. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, I like did the things I want to do. At that point, I was like, I don't know exactly what's next, which is hard for me because I really love having a goal and wanting Mm -hmm. to like work towards that. I think it really helps me like stay focused and Mm -hmm. prioritize what's important, Mm -hmm. you know? And when I, when I stopped working at Violet Gray full-time, people will be like, well, do you want to start your own brand? And I'm like, I don't think so. I didn't want to start from scratch. I didn't want to do it alone. You know, I wasn't really sure like what my point of view would have been. And I just wasn't sure. And then my business partner, Ben, came along. And like, even when he asked me to partner with him on make, I still was kind of like, oh, okay, let me think about it. Because I hadn't Mm -hmm. thought about it. Like that wasn't ever anything that was in my mind. Like I wasn't, I was kind of like, maybe I should just not be in beauty anymore. Mm -hmm. I did everything I want to do. I'm good. Even though like, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case because I was still Mm -hmm. so young into like being a creative director and art, you know, I just, Mm -hmm. I had a lot to learn. Yeah. (laughs) I never imagined that I would, first of all, own Make, which like was the, I, I don't know if you remember this, like when we lived in New York, Make was so cool. It was one of those like first indie brands before the Glossiers and the, you know, all the well-known indie brands. It was one of the first Mm -hmm. and it was so cool. It was at Barney's and it had the like graphic packaging and the two logos. And, you know, I was obsessed with the brand then. And Mm -hmm. then Ben and I were talking and when he asked me, I was kind of like, oh, you know, so like not only to own a brand that I like kind of grew up with in a way, to then also have a partner like I have with Ben, which I mean, he is incredible. And I, every day I just feel so lucky that like him and I get to do this together mm-hmm. and that I get to work with the team that we have. And not that I don't feel like that I don't deserve it or that it's not for me, but it just is like beyond what I could have imagined. And I think a lot of that was because I just said yes. When I said, when Ben asked mm-hmm. me and I was kind of like, yeah, let me think about it. It took me like an hour or two. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? Like just, yeah, it's an obvious yes. Like just say yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. I just went with it. Him and I built so much trust that I was just kind of like, I'm just going to be very open and say yes. And I'm not going to attach what I think this whole thing is supposed to look like. Like that's what Ben is here to show me kind of thing. I love that. So just from hearing this story, the first thing that comes to mind is I think that where were you right before you took that position? So you said you left Violet Gray, right? Mm -hmm. So were you kind of like taking some time off to think about what you wanted? Yeah, I was freelancing. So I was Mm -hmm. working with uh, Augustina's Botter Mm -hmm. and You Beauty. So I was kind of doing bullish time freelance with them, which was perfect for me because I just didn't want to like before that, I when I was at Violet Gray, I was double freelance because I was freelance full-time at Violet Gray and then also still doing other freelance work. So I worked all the time, which I love, but mm-hmm. I was also like not in a great relationship and, you know, just not really that happy and had started to really deal with like uh, my dad dying and, you know, the, the emotional piece of that that I had ignored for so long. And... Mm-hmm 
right when I started to do less work, then also COVID happened. And then one week before COVID was when Ben asked me to partner with him. So it kind of all Mm -hmm. happened at the same time. You know, before that, I was just kind of coasting. Like I wasn't really, again, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. I was kind of like, maybe I should franchise Air One and move to Colorado. Like I wasn't sure. And then it just all aligned. And honestly, COVID was the perfect time for us to acquire the brand and rebuild it because A, like we had something to work on, which was super helpful because I also broke off my engagement Mm -hmm. a few months after COVID. Mm -hmm. The timing was perfect. (laughs) And 2020, like it changed my life for all of those reasons. And I just, Mm -hmm. everything like stars aligned and it all happened at the right time. And I had the right support system and it just was like transformative. I'm a different person for sure. Yeah. I remember when we first met, just seeing the change, you know, as we all do and we grow and we, you know, move through things, but you know, it's just such a massive inspiration to see and also to hear what has happened sort of leading up to this new chapter of your life and um you know grief is so hard to deal with on so many different levels and I think your dad had just passed when we met or you know and yeah, so, I think so I think that for listeners to hear that you know it took some time to acknowledge like oh I still have some grieving to do or a lot of grieving to do I still there's still parts of me that aren't healed and then to also have an engagement to you know to end that I think what's so inspiring about the story is that from what it sounds like is you were like I need to take this time to figure myself out and to take care of myself and to really take care of my heart to take care of me and I think for so many people, myself included, it can be so scary to go to those places. So what do you think was the greatest gift aside from obviously this amazing new chapter, but the greatest gift of going to those places? Uh, I think the time after my dad died was so challenging because grief is so unpredictable. And it's this thing where you cannot do anything about it which is the hardest part for me. Mm -hmm. If you're mad, you can scream and like get energy out, you know, or you can like identify what you're mad about or what you're sad about. You can cry. Mm -hmm. But with grief, it's like it, you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything to change it. And I think for so long, it was really hard for me to just like come to terms with that and Mm -hmm. try to understand, you know, like, okay, if I can't do anything about it, like what can I do? Mm -hmm. Also, I was in a relationship when he died and the intimacy was so hard for me, which is hard to be in a serious relationship and not be intimate or emotionally connected. But I just didn't want to get close to anybody because I didn't, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if something happens to you, I just can't deal with that again. Mm -hmm. You know, but I was faking it. And, you know, two to three years after he died, which was when I left New York and I moved back to San Francisco. And I was just like, basically out of my mind. Mm -hmm. And I got super sick. I was really stressed. I had like the worst acne I've ever had. I got an ovarian cyst that was huge and burst like physically my body was responding to like the unresolved Mm -hmm. grief and trauma Mm -hmm. and I just went from like relationship to relationship and that was kind of like my MO Mm -hmm. and then I was in kind of an emotionally abusive relationship super super unhealthy and then that consumed me so it was like I had all of these things that just kind of 
oh, well, I'll deal with the grief later. And I'll just focus on this other thing because I can do something about it. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until we went to couples therapy, actually, and our therapist was, Mm -hmm. Carrie, if you don't address your trauma with your dad, you will not have meaningful relationships. And I was so mad at the time because I was like, excuse me, I am not the problem. How dare you? You bring me to couples therapy and it's about my trauma. You know, like... I was so mad. I can imagine. It reminds me, I'm not to like make light of this, but that scene in um, called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days when they go to the th- the friend is the therapist. I don't know why that just made me think of that. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I just watched that movie actually. And I, I love that part. And it was the greatest gift in a way. I mean, you know, sometimes that relationship, obviously we're, we're all thrilled. It's done, what and done, but like, that therapist was sort of, you know, an angel in disguise and it it happens like that sometimes, you know, I find that it's happened to me where I've had moments where I was like, what are you talking about? It's not me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. It's, and and it doesn't negate that there's an external, like it's not like, oh, it's all me. Your boyfriend's good or this is good. It's two, one plus one is two. So what happened after that? So with the same therapist, I did some psilocybin. We did a psilocybin journey, Mm -hmm. which for me, was really the only way that I could address the grief and the trauma. Mm -hmm. I had just blocked it out and pushed it down for so long and also was doing that Mm -hmm. with my feelings in my relationship. So we took a whole day and I took a big dose of Mm -hmm. psilocybin. And, you know, we didn't even really talk about my dad that much, Mm -hmm. which surprised me, I think. But it really was just like an unblocking and Mm -hmm. a moving through of energy. And I remember in our session just being like, oh my God, I feel so happy and relaxed. Mm -hmm. And I think that allowed me to really start to be like comfortable with the feelings flowing through. Shortly after that, it was COVID. And a few months later, like I broke off the engagement and just kind of all these things that happened subsequently in 2020, I was ready for them so I could receive them. And It was like not one big gift, but it was like small bites that then led to like this huge transformation for me. Mm -hmm. I was telling my business partner, Ben, last week, I was like, when I met you, I was like maybe half of, I felt like a shell of a person. I felt like half of what I knew that I was or like half of myself. And now I feel like fully myself Mm -hmm. in my body. I just feel like a different person. He was like, yeah, it's. I mean, it's been three years since we've known each other, three and a half. And it's just like the way that you have like come into your own is like a short time and it's it's amazing. And it was just all those little things that kind of added up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I hate this cliche, but the feel it to heal it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, I went to, I hate so cliche, but, you know, I went to acupuncture school and, you know, seven years there and being in the clinic, treating patients, you know, every week and just really, you really get real time of hearing someone's story when you do the intake, seeing their symptoms and you start to see patterns happening. Yeah. You know, I lost a friend that I was really close with three years ago, actually. Mm. And I remember that was the biggest grief for me. I've lost a lot of people in my life to drugs and overdoses. So, you know, my baseline is always like the next phone call. Like, what, what is it? You know, and that's stuff that I worked through. And I just 
remember when he passed, that was so out of body, painful, you know, and, and as you know, the grieving process, it just takes you and you have no control over it at all. And yeah, I just remember my first thought was seeing everything I did in the clinic. I was just like, I have to feel this. I have to go through this. I have to, because my initial instinct was I wanted to shut down. I want to just block it out. And I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to feel it because if I don't, then I'm going to, my body's going to start to malfunction later on. Mm -hmm. My heart is smiling right now because what you said about feeling yourself, you know, and feeling like a whole person, you know, that was one of the most challenging times for me, but it really cracked me open in a way that I was not expecting at all. And it's really the first time in my life after like these years later, I feel like me, I know who I am and I really like myself Mm -hmm. and I like who I've become. So yeah, that's really special to hear. And I think we've already been chatting for like 30 minutes and it's just so, because you just don't get this, you know, on social media, we don't get this, you know, behind the scenes of what the people that we look up to are going through behind closed doors. And I think it's so refreshing to hear stories like yours where, you know, we can be real and we're human and life happens to us and things happen. And that doesn't mean that we can't have our dreams too, you know? Yeah. One thing about grief that I found really challenging was that it's hard to grieve and also live in the world at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to, you know, some days I would miss my dad and I would be like, I just can't go there today. I have too much to do, mm-hmm. you know, and then it builds up and then you're like, oh, I just can't do anything for like days, you know, because there's so much mm-hmm. like pent up, you know, sadness. And I found a way to not push it away and to really like invite it in. And now, of course, I miss my dad and I wish he was here, but like he is here. Mm -hmm. He's with me every day. And, you know, we have our ways of like Mm -hmm. communicating or there's little things. And I'm just like, I see you. You know, I've I've tried all these different things and talked to a clairvoyant or done meditation or all kinds of things. And, you know, all of those little things kind of add up and you take what you need from it and you find like how to integrate the grief into your life. How I keep him around is really important to me, those things. And I think it really teaches you to like take a pause like when you're having a moment of grief or sadness where you're like, okay, I'm feeling sad. It allows me to to pause and to check in, mm-hmm. to feel it as much as I need to or as little and acknowledge one or the other. You know, sometimes I'm like, not today. I will come back to this, but not today. Mm-hmm. You know, and also really strengthened the relationships that I have now, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I still get really anxious and nervous that something will happen. And like, it is inevitable. Unfortunately, it like will happen, mm-hmm. but I'm so much closer to people because of all of that, you know, work that, that I had to do and closer to my mom and my brother. Mm-hmm. We were always close, but now we are like really close and I'm just really grateful. Mm -hmm. I try to like understand like, what do I need to learn? Mm -hmm. Why did this thing happen? What can I like understand about myself and what can I take away from it as much as possible? But yeah, I think that so many people listening to this are going to find so much relief hearing this, you know, because I think that, you know, this wasn't my agenda today, but I love that this is where it went. And I'm so grateful that you were open (laughs) enough to bring this up because I do get asked questions a lot when I do Q&As. People ask me, how do I deal with grief? I lost a friend. I lost a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner. 
husband, wife, parent, you know, and there's not a whole lot out there on how to deal with grief. And I just have goosebumps mm-hmm. talking about it. I feel so grateful that I had resources to help me. And and still, yeah. even with the resources, you're still going through it. And, um, yeah. you know, I think that one of the things that it taught me was just because you feel strongly, just because we have emotions, just because we have this, you know, wave and and we're sad, really sad one day. It doesn't mean that we're wrong or a bad person. I think we're in such, especially, you know, in my industry, in the wellness industry, it's like happy all the time. Like we need to, you know, like, oh, I feel sad. What's the meditation for it? Or I feel sad. Like what's the mantra for it? Or what's the green juice for it? Mm-hmm. And what that taught me was like, no, sometimes you have to be really like fucking in it for a while. And like in it, and I'm talking like sloppy sitting in the bathtub right. with like mascara going down mm-hmm. or you have to leave at dinner or whatever. And, you know, it still hits me in ways that I'm like, oh, where did that come from? And it's really stuff that, you know, you just kind of, um, it's taught me, that was the biggest thing it taught me, that fullness of emotions that you go through on a day-to-day basis, it's taught me how to process emotions too, you know, where I think that sometimes we think that, especially successful people, mm-hmm. they don't have emotions yeah. or they're just happy all the time or they're confident all the time or they're secure all the time. And I think that it's refreshing to hear that that's not the case, that successful people are human too and we go through things. And so it's just such an amazing opportunity to hear your story as well, because, you know, grief is just such a, a big one and it's part of life. It's kind of like, it's crazy that it's yeah. not taught because it's so, yeah. I mean, you really can't teach it though, but you know, yeah. to be able to get the resources and help. Even just finding good resources, I think are really challenging around grief and not thankfully, but I have so many friends who have lost their dads. Mm-hmm. It's like a little strange to me, but they're close friends of mine. And Mm -hmm. that helped me the most, Mm -hmm. like, especially in the beginning, because I was just like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. There's so many stages of it. And, you know, again, like this huge surge of emotion that I'm an emotional person and it was like all consuming. And I think you made a good point too. It's like, when you feel sad, it's like, what's the fix for it? And I really tried not to think that way anymore. And I think grief really helped me with that because for so long I was trying to fix everything, Mm -hmm. do this thing, or if I just did that or this blah, 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 which is exhausting. And Mm -hmm. now this happens once a month when I'm ovulating, actually not when I'm about to get my period, but there's like a good two to three days where I am, I am not nice. I'm in a bad mood. I'm crying over everything. And I just know that it's literally related to my hormones. I try to like do my best to just make myself comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I know that like, it's going to pass. And the, when it's like on day two or day three, the next day I'm going to wake up and be like, Oh, um, what was even wrong? I don't know. And just move on. Like where, wait, I just woke up from the dream. Where was I? Where did I go? (laughs) Hormonal hostage. (laughs) That happens to me before I get my period, but it was just like this week too, which is it's so funny. Just my ex-boyfriend, I think when we that, I was dating him. Mm-hmm. He was like, why does this come as a sneak attack to you every month? He's like, why? He's like, why is this a sneak? And it still is, you know, I'm 33 and every month I'm like, why am I sad? Why am I depressed? Why am I crying over everything? 
but it just, you know, and I think that for me, once I started to realize it was my cycle and life too, life plus cycle and running a business, you are, I don't know if you're expected to be on, but you have to show up. You are required to show up and that that requirement to show up for yourself, for your business, for your employees, for your customers, for everyone, it can take so much out of you. And I love that what you said is like, I just try to make myself as comfortable as possible. And that's something that's really helped me as well as like something I'd like to do more is just to share with people that I am so real and I'm human. And I really have spent a long time struggling with mental health, eating disorders, you know, all kinds of things. And I just feel really grateful to be where I'm at right now. And it's, it's just so refreshing to hear other female uh, CE, you know, bosses, CEOs, industry leaders that also are like, hi, hello, I'm human too. And we can be human. Because I think especially as women, you know, coming from, yeah. you know, a very male-dominated world mm-hmm. where you can't feel anything and you have to be a boss in order to be, you have to be a bad bitch and this and that. So that leads me to like the next question that I have, which I just love to hear um, your definition of what does success mean to you? Or how do you define Mm. success? Especially a conversation I have with people a lot is like, we live in a time where success is defined by how many followers you have or how many likes you have or how many, you know, it's just like a grow, 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 grow mentality. And for me, success is just like, if I'm happy and my people around me are happy and my community's happy, that is really, you know, so I'm just so curious what other people think define success as and would love to hear what you think. I think for me, I would define my personal success as being borderline obsessed with what I'm doing and feeling good about what I'm doing as well. I think it's so important to me to be intentional, especially Mm -hmm. as it relates to work, because, you know, I've been in the beauty industry a long time and, Mm -hmm. you know, some days it's really hard for me because I, it's hard to not compare to what is happening with other brands or my perception of what is happening with other brands, you know, make is just two years relaunched, um, which is nothing. And mm-hmm. I have to constantly remind myself like, okay, we're brand new. We have a really clear North Star and I am trying to take in as much as I can right now to like mm-hmm. try to watch and see what's happening and learn from things as I'm going. I think another thing that is that I would consider success is that I'm like learning all the time. And I really worked on not being too attached to or perfectionist about how it has to be Mm -hmm. because who's to say that I know how it has to be? You know, I make is not my name. It's a brand that I want to build outside of myself for other people. And, you know, I think I've been really successful and I would consider it Mm -hmm. a success being open, knowing that I don't know everything, admitting like when I fuck up. Mm -hmm. And just continuing to move forward. It's not all going to happen at the same time. Sometimes you go forward and then you come backwards. But like, if you learn from that and then you keep going forward, like that is the best that I can do. And that that was like gold right there, because I think that so many people just and myself included, I love what you said about having a North Star. One, it just makes it sound so beautiful, you know, not just like, oh, I know what my, my goal is. I love that visual of having a North Star. It's so, 
special because it's it's less goal oriented and and obviously there are goals involved but it's kind of like no we have like a dream that we're moving towards I just love everything that you said about that because I think that for me I had a really toxic relationship with social media for a while and I feel really really lucky and grateful that I can't tell you what did it but something unwound it in a way where I just have a better relationship to it and, yeah. you know, unfollowed a lot of people that weren't, you know, serving my mental health. And um, I think people would forget that we can do that, you know, that we can like you can yeah. literally like unfollow people. And I try to follow just my friends and people that really inspire me and really funny dog videos and stuff like that. Yeah. And just stay in my lane because it's so easy to get pulled in so many different directions. And I think that one thing, I have friends who are very, very successful business people and I really love and admire them, but I don't love and admire sometimes they give a lot of unsolicited advice. And some people were like, you need to grow to 4K people a month or 7K people a month. And what are you doing and this and that? And for a while, I was kind of like, you know, leaning into that. And then I remembered specifically in December of this year, of last year, I just like pumped the brakes and I was like, for what? Like, what am I going to grow that fast for? Like, I just love what you said right now because about the North Star, because I was like, that's not my North Star to like grow that fast and that big and wide. But it seems so shiny because that's what everybody's doing with grow, grow, grow. So I just love to hear what people's definition of success is because you just nailed it. And it's, you know, I'm very similar. Like, I just want to be growing and learning. But, um, you know, the beauty industry has changed so much over the years and, you know, just being a woman in general can feel, you know, we always have to keep up with the Joneses. So how do you maintain feeling confident and beautiful? I have to check in with myself all the time as well, you know, being in the wellness industry. I was also in the beauty industry for a while. And how do you maintain feeling confident and beautiful in your industry? I mean, the great thing about beauty is that there's just so many versions. There's infinite versions of what beauty is. And for me, everything that I went through in my 20s, all the things that I tried, my eating disorder, my dad passing away, being in these relationships, you know, I was so fixated on fixing. I don't even know what I was fixing, honestly. Like, I just didn't feel like the woman that I like really felt like I was in my heart and my soul. Like, I was trying to find her essentially. And I really think that in terms of being confident, when we started Make, Ben was very much like, you can't be a perfectionist because we're going to move fast. And I just can't have you obsessing over two different reds and slowing production on things. And I was like, okay, got it. And over time, like I do so much work that I can't be a perfectionist. And letting go of that like eased my anxiety so much. And that bled into every aspect of my life. I'm kind of joking, but I'm in my party era because when I was younger, I didn't drink. Like maybe did some drugs, but not really. I didn't go out. I always had a job, sometimes two jobs. And I just was so... I did all the things I thought that I should do. Mm -hmm. And then there was a moment where I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to do anything that anyone else tells me to do Mm -hmm. and stop working out so hard. I started eating all this food I'd never eaten, you know, like 
going out and having a good time and not worrying about like, oh, am I going to be hungover tomorrow? You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Figure it out. Now I just do whatever I want. And it makes me so happy and just like very confident because I'm honoring the things that I want to do. You know, there was a point where I was like, I'm overdoing it a little. So I'm just going to pull it back. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, go out a little less, you know, but I was just having so much fun. And I just never... I just never felt like I did that before. And that like giving myself permission to like really know what it is that I want to do. Do I want to work out? Not feeling like, okay, I have to wake up at five and I'm going to go to the gym at six and I'm going to have this and that. Like none of that. It just really just, it eased so much anxiety. And I trust myself now because of just like letting myself experience everything. Mm -hmm. The trust that I have in myself is like the confidence that I was looking for the whole time. And ironically, you know, it was like all the things I did to try to fix or find, they they weren't the things. It was like, I just wasn't like listening to myself or mm-hmm. doing the things I wanted to do. I was like living in a should world. Mm-hmm. And just because of that, like my energy is so different. You know, I feel comfortable in my body and like it just fluctuates so much. It's We're women. I just... <laughs> Some days I'm like, really? Those fit yesterday, you know, and I just try not to like get sucked (laughs) into it. I really, you know, like I really try to just go easy on myself because I was so hard on myself before. And Mm -hmm. all of those things like just make me feel like so confident. I feel really sexy in my body. I feel really good about like how my face looks. You know, I just, I think that when you change Mm -hmm. The energy, like it kind of like changes your physical appearance as well. I love this. This should have been just like the beginning of the conversation. (laughs) I just love this so much because it's such an important point. Mm -hmm. It's similar to you. When I was in high school, I was designated driver. Like I grew up around Mm -hmm. a lot of drugs and addiction. So for me, it's like I went the opposite way. But I moved to New York for 17 job right away. It was just like hustle, drive, hustle, drive. And then I was 23 when I got into the wellness industry. And that was like a whole motherfucker of like orthorexia and like, oh my God, God forbid you ever have a sip of alcohol or you do this. It was just so many rules. About 2019, I started to unpack, uh, 2018, I started to unpack that, really started to feel better. A lot of my health symptoms went away, ironically, but not ironically. (laughs) And then I'm just laughing so big because last year I wanted to go to Greece. Some people I knew were going and I didn't want to go because I was like, I need to look a certain way. I wanted to go, but I was like nervous. There was this fear of like, letting go in that way. And my mentor, who I, I think you know, Chris, yeah. he looked at me and he was like, just dead ass in the eye. And he's like, you have to go. Do not skip this trip. It was the best. I danced for like 10 days straight until 7 a.m. Yeah. Like I just had the best time. Skin was glowing. Health yeah. was, you know, just amazing. And then that really shook me open because I was like, wow, I haven't let myself, you know, for Chris, the reason he pushed me, he was like, you need to come to terms with your relationship with pleasure and allow yourself to enjoy yourself, your life and pleasure. Yeah. And that, so that opened up a door. And I just love what you said about how yeah. you, you, your body changes, your face changes and everything changes. So yeah, I think it's really important that women give themselves permission to enjoy their life. And Mm -hmm. it's also, I think, really important, like you said, like the thing about health and wellness is that it's individual. 
And so for me, it's like mm-hmm. all about balance. And I know the things that work for me. I know mm-hmm. the things that don't. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, I just can't eat that many vegetables. They hurt my stomach. Mm-hmm. The broccoli, the kale, the all that stuff. It's too much fiber. Mm-hmm. And once I realize that and I stop being like, I should eat a kale salad. Mm-hmm. Whoa, my bloating like completely went away. And I just, you like, you never know. My things are different than yours. And it's so important to just be like, mm-hmm. what is what is the thing that I need? Mm-hmm. You know, like I've learned so much from women in my life who just are kind of like, I'm really craving a donut and I'm just going to lean in. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you just like, when your body wants something, like your body knows, mm-hmm. you know, and that was also something I learned in my, when I had my eating disorder, one of my doctors was like, if you want the donut, just eat the donut until you don't want it anymore. And I will never forget that because like now, you know, like I'll go on a kick and I'll just eat Mm -hmm. something until I don't want it anymore. And I don't think twice about food at all, which I never thought was going to be my Mm -hmm. life. And especially like in a high stress situation, like that's my go-to, but I just don't even think about it anymore. And sometimes I forget to eat, which like (laughs) has never been my, I'll be like, it's four. Oh, I forgot. Like it just doesn't consume you or thoughts anymore. It's just not a consummation of energy. Yeah. I really trust my body to let me know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's even hard for me to eat if I'm not like feeling like anything, you know, (laughs) which is like also just so funny to me. And I had never thought I would say that, but I think it's just important that women and people, the wellness industry is everything else. I think it's important to just be like, do I even like that? How does that make me feel when I eat it? Of course, like Mm -hmm. I also just want to be like sympathetic Mm -hmm. towards people who do have issues with food or anxiety or their bodies. Like it is not lost on me how hard it is to just do that when all you've done is the opposite, you know, but I think it's important for women to talk about that and you can go out and have a good time. You can still take care of your body. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you sleep less than others. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you work out more than others. It's like giving the permission and doing the things I want, like really helped with anxiety and and confidence. And I I try to say that to people as much as possible because I'm like, why would you eat that if you don't like it? Or why would you do that workout if it hurts your body? Mm -hmm. You know, like that was me for a decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't, like for me, high intensity workouts are just not for me right now. And I say right now, because I don't know, maybe like in two years it might be, but I have friends all the time that are like, no, you should just do it. And I'm like, no, but it doesn't, like I get very inflamed when I do it. You know, I loved about one of the things that last thing I want to like before we wrap it up is just I too was in that place where I was like, I can't, I could never imagine even fathom a time when it wasn't like a a thought in my head. What's this going to do to my body? First, is this going to make me fat? And then the second one was, is this going to make me sick? You know, so it consumed every minute of my day, of my life, of everything to be in a place now where... I'm just like, is this going to taste good? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or just going to like, does this actually taste good? Yeah. And what I've learned in my process, because I can just sort of sympathize with people that might be here who are at the beginning of that journey. Because I was there too at one point where I would, people were like, just eat, you know, eat that or do this. And it was, and I would do it, but it was so hard, you know? And something I learned over the years, whether it was my journey or treating patients in, in the clinic, from what I learned from therapists and mentors was that 
a lot of times an eating disorder is a mechanism to control our lives and feelings and suppress feelings and emotions. And for me, it started from trauma as a child with seeing overdoses and death and all kinds of things. So it was like, this is how I'm going to control my reality. So it's just such a beautiful, after hearing this whole story you've shared and sort of seeing how all of it sort of work together in tandem with healing and self-love and self-care. And I think that it's just so special. I think a lot of people are going to be very grateful for this episode and resonate with so much of it. Just, I feel like we could keep going for hours and hours. My cat has come upstairs. She's like, where's my food, bitch? (laughs) Thank you so much again, Carrie, for your time and for your vulnerability. And I know that so many people are just going to take so much from this episode and are going to be so grateful for you. And um, thank you so much for joining. And I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Love you. Bye. If you like this episode, share it with someone else who you think would love it too. And if you want to explore the topics we discuss even further, head over to Benshin.co to check out our current courses, workshops, and upcoming events. And I'll be back next time to discuss more things that I'm so honestly into on Benshin Talks Shit. Thank you.